Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. There's a passage that has tickled, teased, taunted, and tantalized me. First Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. Uh, if you would stand, I want to read that passage in the New King James Version. First Peter 3, 15 through 16. It reads, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Yeah. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Amen? Amen. May the Lord bless this word. Amen. I want to share just for a little while because we have other business that we need to get to today. But I want to share what God has shared with me around this text. And the thought I want to lift today as we honor the commitment and the uh, tenacity and the perseverance of these graduates is chosen for change. I want to talk about chosen for change. In the first of his two epistles, the apostle Peter writes to encourage a church that was experiencing intense persecution. In chapter two of the epistle, the apostle Peter reminded his audience, reminded his readers of their unique calling and commission by articulating their spiritual pedigree. He wrote, he wrote, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Peter 2 and 9. Perhaps as I read these words of Peter in the second chapter and then those I've shared with you in the third, perhaps he was reminiscing. Perhaps he was recalling the words. He heard the Lord speak in the Sermon on the Mount regarding the dignity, duty, and destiny of his disciples. You've heard them many times. Jesus told his disciples and, and those who heard him preach that sermon, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Yeah. And a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then he goes on to say, let your light so shine. <laughs> We're talking about the chosen here. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. These passages and so many others, uh, time does not allow me to share with you, remind us that as disciples of the Lord, we're chosen. But not just chosen, we are chosen for a purpose. And that purpose is change. We're chosen for change. Retired pastor and Christian author, Dr. John Piper said, the world, I'm quoting here, the world is desperate for faith that combines two things, awestruck sight of unshakable divine truths and utterly practical round-the-clock power to make a liberating difference in life. Yeah. Yeah. For almost 40 years, as a pastor teacher, I challenged the churches the Lord allowed me to serve, to serve as under-shepherd. I challenged those churches. I challenged the members and the leaders to be thermostats, not thermometers. In other words, I challenged them not to just measure the temperature around us, yes, but to manage it yes, with an impactful, transformative ministry presence. Yeah, yeah. And I say this to you, my brothers and sisters today, at a time when our communities, our nation, and our world are so in need of the influence that God has given to the church. We have become so polarized, so divided, that we have given up the high ground of biblical truth and authentic spirituality and have conceded to politicizing and tribalizing a message that has eternal dimensions. Chosen for change. Chosen and change. Both are priorities and perspectives that are captured and encapsulated in the verses that I've shared with you today. What does this text, what does this text tell us about chosen for change? I'm glad you asked. Three things I'm going to tell you what the text tells us, and I'll be done. First of all, there is the adoration, the adoration of a surpassing person. We are chosen for change. But this verse reminds us, the verses I read, remind us that the change begins with and in us. It begins in the inner or interior life of the child of God. When when God put this message in my spirit, I had no idea that your theme today would be studying to take hold of him who has taken hold of us by divine power. The text begins, I'm not making it up, with this phrase, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. In other words, every child of God must create in their heart 
And I'm not talking about the blood pumping cardiovascular heart here, but the mentality of one's soul. The sanctuary, the temple, the throne room inside us. <laughs> Where only God resides. The apostle Peter challenges his audience and us to set apart or sanctify this sacred space where Jesus Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is the sole, supreme, and sovereign resident. The late Dr. Howard Thurman, who was for a number of years dean of Marsh Chapel in Howard University, he called this sacred place an island of peace within one's soul. <laughs> Meaningful ministry begins with this transaction. When in our hearts, we can truly sing, he is Lord. He has risen from the grave and he is Lord. The apostle Peter was both agent of and audience to the change that the early church brought to the world that was ruled by Rome. And the record is clear. The record is clear in the scriptures that what began in the innermost moved to the uttermost. If you read Acts chapter 1, you have that innermost uh, description where Jesus, the risen Lord, had shown himself alive to his disciples by many infallible proofs. Irrevocable proof, incontrovertible proof, undeniable proof. And then those who he had shown himself alive to, then he said, when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what? The uttermost. So what? What began in the innermost moved to the uttermost. And the church, the primitive church, the early church, turned the world upside down. So often now, we get caught up on the uttermost before we deal with the innermost. My professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Dr. Dallas Willard, who writes a classic on spirituality, is called The Spirit of the Disciplines. It's a worthy purchase. It should be in every minister's library. After a week of intensive instruction, as our class concluded, class made up mostly of pastors, Dr. Willard said something that still haunts me today. It deals with the innermost. He says, if you lose your ministry, if you lose your job or your work, you still have a life. You still have a life as a unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny with God. And then he said this, God is not so much interested in what you do as the kind of person you become. And this is the key to substantive ministry. Our reverence for him, the adoration for him, 
that conquers every fear and fortifies our faith. While contending with Israel's ancient enemies, the Philistines, David wrote in the 56th Psalm, stanza 4, In God will I praise his word. In God have, have I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Yeah. And so because we're chosen for change, because of the adoration for a surpassing person, I almost feel like saying it today, our hymn should be, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. And with thanksgiving, I'll be a sanctuary. I'll be a living sanctuary for you. But there's another movement in the text. There is the activity of a singular purpose. In the second instance, our text tells us that we're chosen for change, not only because of the adoration of a surpassing person, but also because of the activity of a singular purpose. Yeah. What begins in our vertical relationship with the Lord impacts our horizontal relationship with others. Yeah. And see, this is the appropriate order. That's why John said in his epistle, you can't say you love God who you have not seen and hate your brother and sister. It's that adoration of a surpassing person in the vertical reign that gives us the capacity to love difficult people. <laughs> Y'all don't have difficult people in Dayton, in the churches here. I know you got good folk up in here. It's that motivation of virtue toward God that gives us functional virtue in relationship to others. And so the text says, I'm not making it up, text says, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason. This readiness requires preparation. And the Greek word translated ready sounds like this, he almost it means to be fit. It means to be poised. It means to be adjusted. It means to be positioned. It means to be in a right relationship. Yeah. But to what end is this purpose or this vision of concern? Yeah. The text says to give a defense. Yeah. And the word translated defense in our text is a Greek word from which we get our English word apology. It's apologia, and it's the basis of our English word apologetics, which involves defending the faith. (laughs) And when you know the surpassing person, you don't mind defending your relationship to him. (laughs) Oh, I'm afraid in too many of our churches, Jesus Christ is our best kept secret. Apologetics involves the defense of the faith, clarifying truth claims, removing obstacles from the path of those who are seeking the truth about Jesus and about Christianity, and giving specific answers 
to hard and soft questions. What we have to understand, and that's why it's so important to have that inner relationship, is that you and I may be the only church that some people go to. The only prayer meeting that someone attends. See, the real work goes on after what happens on Sunday morning. And so we have to be ready when God brings someone, especially in this day, into our periphery. We must be ready to give a defense, <laughs> to give an apology. Somebody asks you, what is truth? You need to be able to tell him. That is not theoretical or conceptual. It's personal because he said, John 14 is six. I am the way, <laughs> the truth and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if they are audacious enough to say, I don't believe in the truth, you need to ask them real quick, is that true? Yeah. Do a hell of a witness here. <laughs> Somebody say, I don't believe this universe was created by God. You need to be able to tell them that all scientific theory now is pointing that before there was a big bang, that was a big bang. <laughs> In the beginning, God <laughs> created. <laughs> and if you happen to run up on one of our Muslim brothers or sisters, and they say, oh, we believe in Jesus. We believe he's a prophet. Then you ought to say to them, you know what the sign of a prophet is according to Islam? Prophet is the one who speaks the truth. So if Jesus is prophet in the Quran, then Jesus said, no man come unto the Father but by me. So graduates, I applaud and celebrate with you today your commitment to being ready to give a defense, to being ready to seizing opportunities God presents to us to share your Christian faith with others and defend your faith before skeptics and doubters. Yeah. It is our singular purpose. When Jesus got up of all the things he could have told the church to do, he said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Now, later in this passage, I really wish I had time to preach all of it. Peter addresses both the content and the character of this defense or apology. See, those who will not be wooed or won by our words are the content of our communication. Will either be moved or marginalized by our works, the character of our communication. I love the message paraphrase. Dr. Eugene Peterson, he gave the church a gift with the message paraphrase. I love how Dr. Peterson paraphrased verse 16. Listen to what he says. He says, keep a clear conscience before God so that when people throw mud at you, 
none of it will stick. When they throw mud at you, none of it will stick. They'll end up realizing that they're the ones who need a bath. <laughs> oh, graduates, I thought about you earlier this morning. And I thought about the story, historical account of St. Francis of Assisi. He was a 12th century monk and mystic and the founder of the Order of Franciscan Monks, the most strident and active and notable order in the Catholic Church. And the story is told that as he prepared his disciples who were gathered around him for mission to go out into the world to share with the elite and the downtrodden, the haves and the have-nots, he said, go share. <laughs> he said, go share the love of Christ. Go share the love of Christ. Yes. And then he said this, and if you must, preach. <laughs> Sometimes, my brothers and sisters, folk cannot hear what we're saying <laughs> because they see what we're doing. So there is the adoration of a surpassing person. There is the activity of a singular, a singular purpose. But there's one other thing in the text, and I'm done. There is the anticipation of a satisfying promise. In the final instance, we're chosen for change because of the anticipation of a satisfying promise. Verse 15 of our text, I'm not making it up. It ends with this phrase. The hope. What are we to be ready for? What are we to be prepared to defend? Not the theological footings of the ordinance of baptism. Not the symbolic representations of the Lord's Supper. Not the procedural ramifications of church membership. But, but what we are to be prepared to defend is the hope. <laughs> oh, I couldn't wait to get to this point. The hope. Y'all say hope. The hope that is within you. This is the content. And this is the object of our apologetics. Our answer. Our defense of the faith. Somebody said hope is faith standing tiptoe <laughs> looking out into the future. See ultimately what enabled the early church to be chosen for change and to bring about a seismic change in the world around them. A world that was no friend of race was that positive outlook but they had, even in the midst of undeserved suffering, yeah. they had yeah. a positive outlook. Yeah. And brothers and sisters, if you really commit to the surpassing person, yeah. if you really commit to the activity of a singular purpose, yeah. you're going to make some enemies along the way. Yes, there are going to be some rough spots in the road. 
Paul told Timothy, they that live godly in this world yeah. shall suffer persecution. James said, count it all joy yeah. when you fall into divers temptation. Yeah. For the trying of your faith, work of patience. Yeah. But let patience have her perfect work yeah. that you may be complete yeah. and entire yeah. lacking nothing. Yeah. Somebody know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Somebody up in here can say, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? What I like about this text, I'm almost done, is Peter says, the hope in you, or the hope within you. But I'm telling you, there are two kinds of hope. There is the hope that is in you. And there's a hope that is around you. So many folk get caught up on the hope that is around you. Flashy things. Fine cars. Friendly associations. Money in the bank. But if you live long enough, the hope that's around you will not get you through the storm. You've got to have something on the inside to repair the witness. That's why I seen sometimes through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend on his word. I'm talking about hope that is within you. Can I call some witnesses? Brother Job, tell us about it. All the days of my appointed time, even in the midst of my suffering, yeah. I'm going to wait yeah. till my change comes. Yeah. David, tell us about it. Yeah. The Lord is my light yeah. and my salvation. Who shall I fear? Do I have a witness? Brother Paul, tell us about it. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.